Hello, this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Startup podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea. You're ready to launch something, or you possibly launched something already, and you're flying full steam ahead. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. This podcast is a two-for-one special. You'll leave with a pretty cool fact for your nerdiest group chat and a system to combat fear that'll at worst keep you entertained for the next 15 to 20 minutes and at best help you start a startup that changes your life. If the second happens, I'd humbly ask for a good review on Spotify. Anyway, to start, I've got to tell you a story. In 2015, my family went on a safari to Kenya. We've been planning this trip for over a decade. My older sister has a PhD in evolutionary biology and spent our childhood days highlighting textbooks and memorizing the Latin names of animals while I was tasked as her research assistant, carrying around those marble notebooks, daydreaming about playing basketball with my friends while taking notes on okapis. By the age of seven, she'd correct the people giving presentations at the zoo, which happened a lot because my mom would just buy the unlimited pass to the Bronx Zoo and she'd take my sister and I three or four times a week during the summer to keep us busy. So, as I said, this trip was a long time coming. We'd be traveling around Kenya and Tanzania for 10 days following the wildebeest migration. We'd stay in tents since just about everywhere we'd stay was a wildlife preserve where you can't put up any permanent structures. These little tent villages were there for the season, so these weren't like the Coleman swooshy material tents, but they were definitely fabric and definitely a bit flimsy for what I thought was out there. Maybe that was the point. If a lion wants to get into your tent, it's probably going to get into your tent no matter what the tent is made of, so no need to bring out the heavy-duty stuff. On the first night, before we went to bed, our guides told us to look out across the plains. A few hundred yards away was a river. An elephant that looked about the size of my thumb from this distance sauntered along the shore. They said there were lions there, and that during the night they'd get noisy and the sound would carry. They also said the night in Africa in general was just loud. Lots of animals. It was also likely that a herd of something might walk through our campsite that night, whether it was giraffes or elephants or something else. Don't be startled, they said. They'll avoid the tents. Fantastic. I drank a bunch of Tusker, the national beer, which is delightful to calm my nerves. My sister and I were sharing a tent, and she immediately unzipped the canvas flaps of the tent so that there was nothing but a thin mesh layer between us and the African night. She said it'd be great for airflow. It was hot, and the breeze felt good, and as I said, I'd had some tuskers. I decided I was fine with it, and we went to sleep. About halfway through the night, I woke up. I heard noises, growling and smacking. I remembered our guides telling us that we'd hear lions and that they were hundreds of yards away and that the sound would carry and don't be afraid. Despite all that, I was afraid. I told myself to go back to sleep. But I heard more grumbling and huffing and something else. It sounded like my dog sounds when she's dreaming about chasing squirrels, kind of a squeal and rustling sound. It felt like it was coming from a few feet away, not a few hundred yards away, but again, the guides had told us this would happen, so I tried to forget it and go back to sleep, but I couldn't. Eventually, I decided that I'd stand up and look out the flap, which was about shoulder height and a few feet away. The moon was full. I'd be able to see pretty clearly if anything was out there. I told myself that I'd take a look to prove to myself that there weren't any lions, and then I would go back to sleep. 
I stood up, crept a few feet to the edge of the tent, and looked out my mesh window. There, sleeping against the side of my tent, was an enormous lion. A female, which we were told that morning, did all the hunting. I froze. You never know how you're going to react in a moment like this, and luckily my reaction was not to scream. It was still a pretty silly reaction, though. I grabbed the pocket knife from next to my bed, which I'd brought on this trip for some reason, and stood a few feet away in front of my sister, holding the knife out for whatever happened next. For the next four hours, I stood on guard with the knife out as my sister and the lion slept, each snoring. Finally, the sun rose, and as it did, the lion stood up, stretched, looked me directly in the eyes, or at least that's how I remember it, and then ambled away. I exhaled for the first time in four hours and woke up my sister to tell her what happened. She was furious. How could you not wake me up? That is so selfish of you. You know how long I've waited to see these animals. Today, we're going to talk about fear. Fear is an interesting thing. My goal for today's pod was always to do something really helpful for early stage entrepreneurs. Something that could be the difference between success and failure. We've got an Excel sheet with the hundreds of companies we work with. And as I looked through the names of the companies that didn't make it, I tried to think of the biggest reason they hadn't worked out. One thing kept coming back to me, fear. Not outright fear, like me staring at a 400 pound lion while holding on a Swiss army knife, but more nuanced fear, destructive fear, irrational fear. Fear has killed way more startups than competition or lack of funding or anything else ever has. So today we're gonna talk about fear and of course, we'll help you build a system to get rid of it, after a little smooth jazz. This episode of the Idea to Start a Podcast is brought to you by Build, B-Y-L-D-D, a development agency that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable, revenue generating software businesses. Development for non-technical founders and teams without a tech person on them is the massive elephant in the room that just sits there judging you while you run all of your customer work and intent tests. And once you've validated that customers want what you've decided to build, you got to figure out how to build it. And that's where this stuff can get pretty sticky. You probably don't have 100K to throw at a huge creative agency, and even if you did for your first product, you almost certainly shouldn't. You might want to roll the dice on Upwork, and it might work, but you'll need to project manage the whole thing. The cost will be a black box, and I cannot stress enough the might in that first sentence. But for 10K and roughly a month of work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've been burned by companies that promise this for years, but Build actually does what they say they'll do. They're focused on generating revenue, so they'll make sure your first product does that, and they'll keep you away from the feature creep that dooms most initial products. A bunch of our products at Tacklebox have worked with Build, and they have had great results. I would never advertise for anything on this podcast that I didn't fully believe in, and I believe in Ayush and everyone else at Build. So head to buildbyldd.com and tell them that the folks at Tacklebox and Idea to Startup sent you. Back to it. Here's your fact for your nerdiest group chat. Humans are only born with two innate fears. Everything else is learned. In a study done in 1960, six to 14-month-old infants and animals were placed on a platform that had plexiglass just beyond the edge to simulate a cliff. The babies and animals obviously didn't know it was plexiglass, and they all instinctively stayed back. Because the fear of falling is innate. We're born with it. The second innate fear that you've got is loud noises, or what's called the acoustic startle reflex. If a sound is loud enough, you duck your head. 
Loud sounds mean danger is around the corner, so hide, duck. Every other fear we have is learned, influenced by our environment and our culture. Some are specific to us. If a combat veteran survives an encounter with an IED that was hidden in a shopping bag, it's likely a shopping bag will trigger a fight or flight response when it wouldn't have prior to that episode. Others are cultural. Scary movies or stories about snakes and spiders and whatever else become reinforced behaviors. Everyone acts scared and the scary thing becomes more scary and ingrained. Fear has an important evolutionary purpose. Keep us safe. Keep us alive. Don't walk off a cliff and loud noise means danger are two good ones. Some learned ones, spiders and snakes are things you should probably stay away from, aren't all that bad either. But most do way more harm than good. My buddy and his six-year-old son came to visit last weekend. The son popped into my apartment and started exploring immediately. He'd never seen a Peloton before and within minutes was in the saddle riding through Hawaii. A minute after that, he was lying on the seat, his chest where your butt's supposed to go, pedaling furiously with his hands through Iceland. Moments later, he was trying to get me to teach him how to play Encanto on the piano, but warned me, I've never played before, so I stink. A few minutes after that, he was sketching my dog Ruby, asking if anyone could teach him how to draw an eye. Eventually, we went out for a bite to eat. We walked by a famous bagel shop called Barney Greengrass that's next to my apartment and known for some of the best bagels and locks in the world. It's been around since 1908. I told my friend he had to try it before he left and he hesitated. Is that the type of place I can go? He asked. Won't everyone be mad if I'm taking too much time figuring out my order, figuring out what to get? I'd love to, but I feel like it's not the type of place where I can just go. His son hadn't yet learned that he should be embarrassed to ride a Peloton on his chest or be bad at piano in front of people or draw my dog on the spot when he wasn't a professional artist and his drawing wouldn't be perfect. He knew he wasn't an expert at these things, so he wasn't afraid to fail at them. He knew the consequences of being bad or embarrassed were literally zero, so the upside certainly outweighed them. His dad, on the other hand, had lived a whole bunch more years and had learned at some point that New Yorkers were rude, and that feeling uncomfortable, even for a moment, wasn't ever worth it, even if it led to the best bagel with smoked salmon he'd likely ever have in his life. I had this idea for the podcast a while ago, and now it's been impossible to stop noticing the things people don't do because they might feel a slight amount of embarrassment, because people might see them as not being an expert. I'm sure at some point some variation of this instinct was helpful for survival, but now it is just harmful. It is killing people's startups, and it's keeping a lot of people from having really good bagels. We'll get into the startup side of that now. There are two specific fears that'll hold you back that we'll talk about today. There are a lot more we won't talk about, but to keep this puppy digestible, we'll stick with just the two biggest ones. Let's look at them in the context of starting a business. Last week, I gave a half-joking pitch for a company that would help businesses offer sabbaticals for their employees. Goldman Sachs is doing it, I said, so is Google, and it seems like it might be a realistic way to decrease employee turnover and burnout and help with hiring, so maybe there was some opportunity here. Also, tons of studies show that people do exceptional work in short spurts when they're refreshed and motivated, so a sabbatical could very possibly get more quality work out of an employee in fewer hours worked. Well, someone reached out about it. Let's call them Frank to keep it easy. Frank's not an expert. He just thinks this is a trend that's interesting, and he's worked at startups that have had trouble hiring and retaining employees in the past, and he liked the idea enough to cold email me. So we hopped on the phone. 
As a side note, someone suggested that I start the business with noted field goal kicker from the late 90s and early 2000s, Martin Grammatica, and call it Grammatica's Sabbaticals. I figured that was worth including. Anyway, Frank listens to the pod. He knows step one is interviews. So when I did my normal spiel and said, well, if you think this might be a good idea, why don't we find out? Why don't you start with a few cold calls to HR people to see how they're thinking about turnover and see if they've thought about sabbaticals to get a bit more context. He sort of repeated yes a bunch of times and said that he knew he needed to do this, but he told me he wasn't ready to yet. He said he'd need to bone up on the industry a bit more, understand what else was out there, understand how people felt about the solutions. I asked how he'd do that without talking to people and the line was pretty quiet. And then he eventually replied, research? The first fear Frank had is what I now think of as the Barney Greengrass fear. The, I can't go in there because I might look silly fear. The fear that if you aren't already an expert, you can't do something until you are. This is totally irrational because how the heck are you going to ever become an expert in something if you aren't willing to start out as not an expert? Fear isn't rational, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. Luckily, we can combat it. The way to combat anything irrational is a combination of mindset and systems forcing functions that take the decision and the action out of your hands. You can't just rely on personal motivation. That won't work. Growing up, my mom forced me to try everything three times. She knew I'd usually want to quit something hard after the first try, but by the third, I'd start to understand the value of it. Some of the most important things in my life ended up being things I would have quit had she not forced me to see them through for a little while. The startup version of this is that I truly believe every idea you have is worth at least a month focused surgical month to get some clarity on your idea's potential. And to have an impactful month, we can't be worried about being embarrassed. We've got to go into that month with the mindset of learning as much as we possibly can about the problem. So you've got to let yourself be a novice. Be the unapologetically uneducated person. Be my friend's son pedaling the Peloton with his hands and be as excited about it as he was. I walked into Barney Greengrass yesterday to get my own bagel and the person in front of me was clearly a tourist. He even had on that money strap thing where his passport and wallet were tightly stuck to his chest so he wouldn't get pickpocketed, which made me so insulted as a New Yorker that I almost pickpocketed him myself just to teach him a lesson that we don't pickpocket people here, so stop being so judgmental. Anyway, he got up to the front of the line and blurted, I'll be honest, we're tourists and we don't really know how this all works, but we are excited to try your food. What should we get? The guy working the counter broke into a huge smile and gave him a few recommendations. A local in line behind me told them to get the sturgeon, which the guy working the counter then let them taste to see if they liked it. They did. No one got upset. No angry New Yorker tossed them out of line. They just got the best meal of their life and nearly pickpocketed by a guy with a podcast. For the first month of your startup, and maybe the next six after that, you need to be that goofy New York City tourist. A novice. An unapologetic beginner. Someone trying to learn as much as they can and not assuming they already know everything. How would someone like that find out about if the sabbatical idea had legs? They'd call a bunch of HR people to learn how they're thinking about retention in the new world of burnout, turnover, and remote work. They'd speak with companies that offered sabbaticals and learn what made them do it. They'd speak with employees who'd been on sabbaticals. They'd speak with job seekers to see what really mattered for them taking a job. They'd immerse themselves in the space and they wouldn't assume they knew anything. Now, build a system to make sure that happens. Make it impossible to not do that. Set aside an hour on the calendar before you go to bed one night and don't call it a night until you've reached out to 25 people with a Calendly link. 
block time for those calls, and for follow-ups. Set a time two weeks in with a friend to pitch your progress. Read books on habits or accountability or check the pods I'll stick in the show notes because we've done tons of stuff on this already. The beginner mindset is the perfect mindset for an early stage entrepreneur. Build a system to lock that in. You'll never go directly from zero to 10 in anything. You start out as a two, then you go to a four, then a six, then an eight, and maybe finally a 10. Expertise takes time and it takes patience. Don't kill yourself for not being perfect on day one. And don't worry about what other people think. As David Foster Wallace says, you'll stop worrying about what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they actually do. The second irrational fear and the last thing we'll talk about today is the fear of choosing. A critical and overlooked skill for early stage entrepreneurs is the ability to choose. To look at a bunch of potential customers and problems and solutions and say this specific customer with this specific problem can be helped by this specific solution, then go full steam at that until you're forced to make a change. Choosing is scary because choosing one thing by definition means leaving everything else out, which scares entrepreneurs more than anything this side of a stable job with benefits at Deloitte. Let's say Frank called 25 HR companies over a month to learn about sabbaticals. And what he realized was that there was a clear niche in the legal space. Lawyers suffered a ton from burnout. They'd also go long periods of time on a case, and that case would just get thrown out or settled or some other wholly unsatisfying resolution. And then they'd have to do it again. But often, after a long case, they wouldn't be needed on a case for a month or two. They'd get a week or two off, then just sort of be on call in the office helping out, or doing some supportive work. This, Frank learned, didn't help with the burnout. There was no true reset after a case, no closure. And there was a huge amount of turnover in certain law firms at certain levels and hiring lawyers was expensive. There was something here. But if Frank is like 95% of the entrepreneurs we've worked at, he wouldn't spend a month zooming in on lawyers because other places need sabbaticals too. And if he built something for lawyers and eventually he wanted to spread to tech firms, wouldn't he not be able to? People are terrified of making a choice because it's seen as closing doors rather than opening them, which is what it actually does. I always heard that silly saying of the old ball and chain or whatever stupid thing people say about getting married in 2022, as if it would close off your choices to pick someone. But the second I got married, the world opened up. There was so much more I could do. Choosing in the startup world does the same thing, but it can be scary. Entrepreneurs come to us ready to jump, excited to jump, fearless, motivated. They're like Gaston singing that song in Beauty and the Beast. They're confident. Then they get some data points on customers from interviews and tests and it starts to feel real and they have to make decisions and it doesn't seem all that fun anymore. The fear of choosing runs deep because choosing means you can choose wrong and you'll look silly. And everyone who told you not to do this startup either explicitly or behind your back will have been right. And who are you to do this in the first place? Choosing brings out all the irrational fear because choosing is progress and progress brings risk. It opens you up. But choosing is the only way to make real progress. And the way you choose is the way to combat this irrational fear, to build a system around it. And once you choose, I promise you'll never go back to the ambiguous pre-choice you. So let's say Frank chose lawyers, but again, only for a month. In that month, he'd need to prove lawyers are worth his time. To find out if they're worth his time, he'd need to know how law firms, specifically HR at law firms, solve the turnover problem, what they spend money on, how they view the hiring market, and on and on and on. So he'd schedule 25 calls with law firms, start to understand that landscape, 
build the system that would smack his irrational fear in the face with a pillowcase full of rational doorknobs. Because everything in the startup world is worth doing right for a month. And a system that takes decisions out of your hands can always beat your irrational fears. At the core of all of this is that as people get older, they forget that it's okay to be bad at something or just inexperienced at it, or even to get embarrassed every once in a while. Being bad isn't a bad thing. It's just the first step to being good. And if someone does start a sabbatical company for law firms, I highly suggest your slogan be, we won't lose your luggage and you won't lose a case. Not great. I'll work on it. Have a great week. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by the Tacklebox membership. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, let's figure it out and let's build it and let's launch it. Head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas to get the podcast listener discount.